Greetings, dear brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. It's encouraging to me to see each one of you here. Uh, it speaks of, of warmth, it speaks of brotherhood, it speaks of unity, it speaks of desire to meet with God, and that encourages my heart. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> it would be a little lonely if I came and there were no others that were interested in digging into the Word as well. So thank you for being a part of this time. In this world, broken things are looked down on. We don't like things that are broken. We throw broken things away. And if something is broken, we try to swap it for, for something that is unbroken. And that even goes as far in, in the culture we live in, it goes as far as relationships. If relationships don't work out, if they break, you look for something that is not broken. You look for another one. You know, in God's world, things are quite different. In God's world, broken things are highly valued. In fact, God desires brokenness in each one of our lives. In fact, if we're not broken, we're not truly useful in God's way of seeing things. And so, I would like to begin a series of messages on the subject of brokenness. It's a subject that um, <laughs> makes me tremble to, to dig into because it's so personal. And yet, I need it so badly in my personal life, and I truly believe that brokenness perhaps is the hidden power of the church. And so I, I begin this series of messages Thinking of various things, I, I think of my great need uh, for brokenness in various areas of life. I also think of brokenness uh, in the lives of, of others. I think of, of some with, with great concern uh, that we long for brokenness in their lives. And perhaps as we look at this subject over the next couple months that uh, it will be a means of, of strengthening you be a means of, of giving you a proper perspective uh, for hard experiences in life and be a means of giving you a, a deeper thirst for God and for what He wants to do with your life. Here recently, I was scanning our bookshelf and I found a book on brokenness. <laughs> I'm not really sure where it came from. 
I don't think I bought it. Maybe it's something, me and my wife didn't discuss this here recently, but uh, maybe it's a book that my wife had. I'm not sure. But because of some needs in my personal life and some things on my mind recently, I picked up the book with interest and read through it um, and, and was richly blessed and also uh, greatly convicted in certain areas of my life. But it's simply entitled Brokenness by Lon Solomon. Perhaps you recognize the name Lon Solomon. He's perhaps retired now, but, but was a, a well-known preacher in evangelical circles for years. Brokenness, how God redeems pain and suffering. A very powerful book, um, a very easy book <laughs> to grasp as far as grammar-wise. What I'm saying is that uh, if you find it hard to read some books, I don't think you'll find it hard to read this one. However, um, it's very hard to grasp in other ways. You know, our, our flesh doesn't like books like brokenness. But yet I found it very meaningful and perhaps it's a book that you can get your hands on and, and you can be challenged by as well. But I'd like to read um, a little bit about what Lon has to say here as we begin this subject this, this morning. He says, he says towards the beginning of this book, this book is based on an intensely personal relationship with my daughter, Jill. Its tenets were learned in the fires of deep suffering. God taught me the truths of this book at the bottom of the worst emotional black hole that I've experienced in 56 years of living. I can certify that the precepts in this book are, as David says in Psalm 19.9, sure and altogether trustworthy because I have lived them. And then he goes on to share uh, the story about uh, their daughter, Jill. And him and his wife, Brenda, had, had really wanted a little girl. And God kept giving them boys. And so they had three boys, and, and uh, they really wanted a little girl. And it was through this, through this time that, that Lon uh, was a, a pastor of one of the largest churches in the Washington, D.C. area, was preaching to around 10,000 people each weekend. Um, the church was growing. Uh, life was good. Uh, he was feeling successful. Uh, he felt like he was doing what God wanted him to do. And, and, and life was just moving along. And they had these three boys, and they really wanted a little girl. Well... God gave them a little girl, but this little girl had severe handicaps, severe handicaps. And so that is sort of the background uh, of, of this story, of this book on brokenness. Let me read just a, a, some other places here. And so through, through this, and, and through the next 12 years, of adjusting and trying to adjust and trying to cope with this precious little girl that they had prayed for that was severely handicapped, um, they began to ask some very hard questions. You know, where is God in all of this? 
Why should he allow, why would he allow this to happen to me when I am trying so hard to serve him faithfully? Is God really engaged in this suffering, or am I just at the mercy of these circumstances? I know Romans 8.28 says that God works for the good of those who love him, but what good can possibly come out of the pain my wife and I are suffering through? And I, am I a bad believer with some serious sins in my life that God is punishing me for, even though I can't figure out what they might be? Am I a believer at all? Have I been deceiving myself all along? Is my faith somehow insufficient? Thoughts that were going through his mind. Questions because of all this. And so he says, this book is the result of 12 years of such questions, studying God's word for answers and watching God redeem our pain and turn it into good, just as he promised. I have seen God redeem the suffering that our family has experienced in ways that I could never have imagined 12 years ago. Now, read a few more things here and then we'll move on. The famous Chinese protege of Hudson Taylor, Watchman Nee, said in his book, The Normal Christian Life, anyone who serves God will discover sooner or later that the greatest hindrance to his work is not others, but himself. One of the most significant days in the life of any follower of Jesus Christ is the day when he or she realizes that the greatest obstacle they have to ministering with, the pow- with power for Jesus Christ is themselves, their self-life, self-reliance, self-dependence, self-trust, self-sufficiency, self-love, and self-wisdom. These are the great barriers to seeing the supernatural power of God flow through our lives. These are the things that quench and grieve the Holy Spirit and rob us of his free-flowing power. God has a solution for our problem. His solution is brokenness. The concept of brokenness is one of the most beautiful and precious in all of the Word of God. It is also one of the most vital if a Christ follower wants to know and experience the power of Almighty God. Brokenness is the process by which God dislodges our self-life and teaches us to rely upon Him alone in every facet of our lives. Brokenness is the process whereby God crushes all our self-dependence and in its place substitutes an utter dependence on God and God alone in every area of our lives. Through brokenness, God replaces our self-sufficiency with a dependence on the sufficiency of God. Our self-reliance with a reliance on God alone. Our self-wisdom with a wisdom rooted in the ways and word of God, and our self-will with a surrender to the will and timing and plan of God, tempering our human zeal with a deep waiting upon God. The purpose of this whole process is to make us more usable to Almighty God. Making us more usable to God. And that's a message that I like to to ponder in the near future, and that is the usefulness of brokenness. We won't look at that this morning, though. This morning, I would simply entitle the sermon, The Basis of Brokenness. The basis, or the foundation. The basis of brokenness. 
And I want us to consider three foundational principles as we consider this thing of brokenness. Not hard, not hard uh, principles here, but, but principles that I think are foundational in helping us understand what is brokenness? How does brokenness come? What are the factors in life that, that God uses to bring about brokenness in our life? Uh, to call us away from, from what I want to do, from what my goals are in life, from what I've always had in mind, from calling us away from that into completely surrendering God I want to do it your way. I just simply want to live for you. I just simply, I give up. I give up. That kind of an attitude. And so uh, the first principle here that we want to consider is that we will all encounter hard experiences. We will all encounter hard experiences. And I would think that in a group like this, this isn't a new thought. <laughs> so for most everyone here, you've had some hard experiences in life already. And for those of you younger ones who are not sure exactly what I'm talking about, well, let me just kindly say that you will as well. If the Lord tarries, you'll have some hard experiences in, in life as well. We all encounter hard experiences. Turn to James chapter 1. In the very beginning of the book of James, we read a bit about hard experiences. He refers to them as temptations, trials, suffering. A number of, of words would fit the bill there. But in James 1 verse 2, he says, Brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And the part we want to just narrow down on right now is the fact that when you fall into temptations or when you have hard experiences in life, and notice that he doesn't say, if perchance you have a hard time in life or if you struggle occasionally or if, no, he says, when, when it comes. It's a given that you're going to have it. And so it's not if you have a hard experience, but it's when you have a hard experience. In essence, he's writing, dear people, I want you to go ahead and prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Hard experiences will come your way. Let me share with you how to handle them. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now turn over a few pages to 1 Peter, and I note in 1 Peter chapter 4 that the Apostle Peter has a similar thrust, starting at verse 12, but he says, I don't want you to be surprised when hard times come. Don't be surprised when suffering, when hard experiences come. 
Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. And so, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the Apostle Peter was referring to when he was referring to these fiery trials. I didn't research that much. But I would venture to say that in our life today, each of us experience some sorts of fiery trials just simply in everyday life. We're talking about things that have, that, that have the potential to, to disrupt our faith. Things that have the potential to sidetrack us. Things that have the potential to take our, our trust away from God. We were here, and then boom, something happens, and now we're like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, that, that type of thing. And so, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in how I respond to what happened in such and such a case, whether it's an accident, whether it's whatever, there's disruptions in life, in ordinary life, that can be somewhat as fiery trials that are testing our faith. They're saying, are you real? Show me your stuff, you know. (laughs) Are you going to make it? Don't think it's strange, he's saying. Don't think it's uh, unusual. Don't be surprised when these things happen. Verse 13, but rejoice insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now listen to this verse. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Suffering according to the will of God. That phrase sticks out to me. According to the will of God. I don't know what you think of when you think of hard times, when you think of difficulties, when you think of, of trials in your life. I don't know who you attribute them to. I don't know how you process that. <laughs> there are those who would say, well, it's Satan. Satan's bringing that into my life. Or, or you know, certain circumstances, they attribute to certain circumstances. And, and some people have this idea that, that God is, is sort of takes, he's sort of taking a neutral position perhaps. Maybe he's standing on the sidelines while such and such happens. I do not believe that to be true. I don't believe that to be in keeping with the tenor of scripture. I want us to remember that whether God directly sends trials, whether he directly sends or whether he allows them, we won't go into that, all that theology right now, but whether he directly sends them or whether he allows them, he is sovereign and controls it all. He is sovereign. 
God is certainly not taking a neutral position in these things at all. Nothing happens without God's approval. God is not standing on the sidelines, as it were, of our life, watching what's going on. But His hand is in it. I have to think of of Job's story, where we read there in the early part of the book of Job. And, And most of you would know that story. Where, where, you know, they were having this meeting, as it were. And God said, have you thought about my man Job? And Satan's like, well, yeah, I mean, if I do this or this, you know, it's, it's all over. You know, Job's not really going to hang around with you if I do this and this. And so it, God basically said, okay, go for it. But one of the things I noticed... Yes, God allowed that. Satan was being allowed by God to to bring some very hard experiences into Job's life. But God allowed it. And also, God put boundaries on it. Job, I mean, Satan could only go so far. That, That brings strength to me as I ponder that. That even though, yes, Satan was behind some of this, yet God was in control. God's hand was in it. And he said, Satan, you can only go this far. And that's it. And so, yes, we will all encounter hard experiences in life. We will. We must, as believers, we must Foster an attitude of awareness. (laughs) Foster an attitude of of understanding that hard experiences are a part of life. Are a part of life. Don't be surprised. When something happens tomorrow, don't let it derail you. Be prepared. It's a part of life. And then another principle that we must consider this morning, is that hard experiences are for the purpose of perfecting us. Hard experiences are for the purpose of perfecting us. Now, how many of you like clean, beautiful teeth? (laughs) I do. Okay. Now, how many of you just enjoy dental work? I mean drilling and flossing and all that. Yeah. How many of you like a beautiful garden? Right? Yeah, I, I do too. How many of you just love pulling weeds all day in the hot, humid July weather? No, we don't like that. I mean, how many of you like to be healthy and fit? Well, I do. But how many of you like to exercise hard and eat less? Nah, we don't like that. You know? You understand what I'm saying? Life is full of these scenarios. We really like the product, but we hate the process, okay? That's a part of life. We enjoy the outcome, but boy, it's terrible getting there. And yet, I I find that if we're committed in these everyday things of life, And I'll say, in the Christian life as well, if we're committed, 
we're willing to go through what is necessary. Yeah, we are. We're willing to stick it out if we're committed. Because we like the outcome, we like the result, and we feel like it's worth it. It's worth it. Dear people, the heart of God is always good towards you. Do you believe that? The heart of God is always good towards you. Are we willing to believe that? Are we willing to trust that? Jeremiah 29 verse 11 reads this way in the NIV, For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's the heart of God for His people. That's what God wants for each one of us. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Not we know that all things feel good to them that love God. No, we, we know it's not that way. and We're not even sure about the, the way it actually says. We know it doesn't feel good, and we're not even sure that all things work together for good sometimes. That, that makes us scratch our head, and we're like, how is this? You know, because sometimes we find ourselves inaudibly responding with, well, who's good? <laughs> we know that all things work together for good. Who's good? Certainly not my good. I mean, you call that good? As if somehow God's good is separate from our ultimate well-being. Or as if somehow our perspective of what good is is better than God's. Or as if somehow God has it out for us. That's our natural response. How can this possibly be good? And yet the scripture says, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. It reminds me of the ingredients of a cake after they have been mixed together. Now, you would understand that some of the ingredients in a cake are great by themselves. Uh, Think of Sugar, (laughs) a little tasty. Think of vanilla, yeah, it's all right. But then there's other ingredients in a cake that by themselves are downright nasty. You know, whether it's baking powder or whether it's raw eggs or various things like that. Downright nasty. And yet, when those ingredients are mixed together... It brings a a very pleasant result. It's amazing. Very pleasant result. In a similar way, we must learn to trust God to take even the bitter experiences of life and blend them together. Blend them together to make them work together for good. God knows which ingredients are needed. He knows how to mix them best 
to produce the desired results. And dear people, that's something that we just can't see. We can't see that. We just can't understand that. And yet, when it comes to this thing of, of allowing hard experiences to perfect us, we can't move on without just simply trusting that. Trusting God that He knows what's best. Turn back again to James chapter 1 in verse 3. Notice what James writes after he says that hard experiences are going to come. It's a, it's a part of life. Verse 3 he says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Knowing this, in other words, by having uh, an accurate knowledge of this situation, it will help you pull through, okay? By thinking clearly through this process, you will be able to endure. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience or it brings about perseverance in your life. Now, turn to Romans chapter 5. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul says something almost identical to that. Romans chapter 5, the first five verses. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, we rejoice in that. That's beautiful. That's what we, that's what we like to do. That's easy to rejoice in things like that. But verse 3, he says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You understand what he's saying? He's saying almost identical to what James says. He says we can rejoice because we know what it's doing. We know what God is trying to do. And it's through knowing that, it's through understanding that, that we can find actually joy in the journey. We can find peace even in the valley because we understand that God is trying to do something good here. He's trying to, to mix things together for good if we'll only allow Him to. Verse 4, and patience works experience, and experience works hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so he's saying here that, that suffering produces a perseverance within us. And perseverance produces character in our lives. And character produces an eternal hope. Now that's something to be joyful about. It really is. But it's so difficult, I confess, to grasp that in the midst of it all. And so, we don't enjoy the process of, of brokenness. Why? Because brokenness is painful. 
The process of brokenness is painful. God usually touches physical things in our lives as a means of producing brokenness in us. After all, we're physical people, right? And so, He usually takes things away from us. Or He asks us to release something that is special to us. Or that is you know, dear to us. Whether it's our pride. Whether it's our hobby. Whether it's our loved one whether it's a relationship, the list could go on and on. But he usually puts his finger on something uh, that, that is really important to us. Something that has been sort of producing life within us. And so that process of, of brokenness is a painful thing. And our flesh wants nothing to do with pain. We go to great lengths to, to steer clear of pain. We hate the valleys of life. We love the mountains. <laughs> That's where we'd, we'd always like to, to walk the mountains of life, as it were. And yet, dear people, if we're honest, we all know down in the depths of our hearts that it's in those valleys of life that we grow in our faith. If we're really honest with ourselves, we all know that it's in those valleys of life uh, when life seems heavier than we can bear, perhaps, that the presence of our dear Heavenly Father feels nearer than before. We all know that in those valleys of life that we often see and experience uh, the powerful working of God in our lives that we just didn't see or we didn't understand when life was all fun and games, as it were, when things were just moving along so smoothly. And so, hard experiences are for the purpose of perfecting us. They're going to come, and the purpose is to Make us better. Perfect us into the image of Jesus Christ. The last principle we'll note this morning is that our response to hard experiences determines their effectiveness. Our response to hard experiences determines their effectiveness. Once again in James chapter 1. Now in verse 4, note what he says. We read, But let patience have her perfect work. Let her have it. <laughs> let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And those two words, but let, are the ones that stick out to me. But let. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of submission. The picture that comes to my mind is, is I'm holding on to something that's near and dear to me. 
I don't want to give it up. This is mine. I have the rights to this. And the Bible principle is saying, but let it go. But let. But let. It speaks of, of yielding my, my will, yielding, yielding my lowly way to the higher purposes and the higher plans of Jesus Christ. Letting is all about my response to the hard experiences that God allows in my life. How do you respond to the hard experiences that come your way? How are you responding uh, even currently to the hard experiences that you're going through? You know, God never forces a man or a woman. uh, He never forces us to do what He desires I mean, he's not the kind of God that says, you will do this or else, you know. Or, you know, he's not that kind of a God. He gives us the choice. Here it is. He never forces us to become that person that he desires. But by his divine design, he places things into our path that are intended to shape us and to mold us uh, more fully into his image. He does that. He allows things into our lives. And yes, sometimes He even sends things into our lives in order to make us a whole person, a complete person. What does James say? That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's, that's a picture of, of completion, of wholeness, of beauty. There's no lack in your life. That's what God wants to do. And yet, the process is painful. It has to do with chiseling away at our carnal nature, chiseling away at our self-life, chiseling away at the things that we're holding on to. Our response to that will determine the value it plays in our life. Listen to this poem by Dale Martin Stone entitled, The Shaping of a Disciple. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play for him the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to build so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed then watch God's methods, watch His ways. How He ruthlessly perfects whom He royally elects. How He hammers Him and hurts Him and with mighty blows converts Him, making shapes and forms which only God Himself can understand. Even while His man is crying, lifting a beseeching hand, yet God bends but never breaks. When man's good he undertakes. When he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses man to act and act to man as it was when he began. When God tries his splendor out, man will know what he's about. You see, God has a a beautiful plan in mind for each one of us. It's a picture of beauty. 
And yet, it is imperative that we submit to the potter's hand, as it were, to let him mold us and shape us and get the lumps out of our life so that we can be more beautiful and more useful for him. So I ask you, you know, how are you responding today to the hard experiences in your life? Are you letting go of your will and letting God do his work? You see, God will never force you. And yet he may bump you 365 days a year. <laughs> he may bump you with it that often. And yet no one can no one can be broken for you. You have to do it yourself. It's something that you have to come to the point where you have to break. Only you can relinquish that. Your response to the hand of God will determine your effectiveness, the effectiveness of the process. In conclusion, someone has said that we lack something in church life more than loving. We lack dying. We lack dying. You know what that means? That means we lack brokenness. Because the basis of spiritual brokenness is death to self. It, it's giving up what I want to do. It's giving up my own ideas. It's giving up my own understanding of, of myself, who I am. My self-image. Giving up my status. It's giving up my dreams. The things I always wanted to do. It's giving them up. And instead, choosing absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers has written some very powerful devotionals uh, on, this, on this very thing. One of the things he says that stands out to me is, The passion of Christianity comes from deliberately signing away your rights and becoming a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Until I do that, I will not begin to be a saint. <laughs> he says, the passion of Christianity comes from deliberately signing away my own rights and becoming a bondservant or a slave to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote many years before Oswald Chambers something very similar. And he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Dear people, that's not only the basis for true brokenness, it is also the foundation for true usefulness to God and His kingdom. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Jesus Christ that lives within me. That's a picture of true brokenness. And when that is our desire, when we are willing to go through that process, God can use us in a way that He never could before. You know, in the Christian life, it's really... 
about how much you're going to give. Because you're going to get as much as you give. You give a little bit, you're going to get just a little bit. You give halfway to God, you're going to get about halfway. You give it all to God, you're going to get it all. (laughs) The more you give, the more you commit, the more you submit to the will of God, the greater the blessings, the greater the power, the closer the intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm discovering that little by little on my journey. And I trust that you are too. But let's keep discovering that together. May this be our sincere prayer this morning from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And we sang this little chorus beginning of the service. We'll end the service with this as well. But that is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, a brother told me recently in a discussion that a prayer such as that is one of the scariest prayers you'll ever pray. That is, if you're sincere about it. Because you know what you're praying? You're praying, God, change me. God, reveal my problems and change me. And that's scary for us as human beings. And yet... It begins a path of much blessing and rich reward in your life. I trust that can be our experience. May the Lord give us strength to walk this journey together. May he be glorified through that. We'll call for a song.